0: it matters how we do things, right? It matters what we do, it matters how we do them because the results sometimes uh, have a lot to do with how we do and what we do. And speaking of that, we're doing things differently at Hope Ames these days. Uh, We have shorter services, reduced volunteer numbers in case you didn't notice. Uh, We've got a smaller congregation during these times. Um, But I tell you what, I just think it is so special that we can gather here together Um, and even be in a smaller group. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we started our college ministry, Kairos, in this room. Um, And I know, like, two of you were there and we're really grateful for that. And there weren't many more than two. Uh, We had just, I mean, it was so small and it's in this huge room, but we didn't have an excuse to spread everybody out. And so I think we fit everybody in, like, the front four rows. We had, like, 40 people. I remember saying to one of our volunteers, Matt, afterward, I'm like, what are we doing? like, what are we doing? Like, this is terrible. And he said to me, he goes, Even if it was just for one, it'd be worth it. And so I want to tell you, uh, even if it was just one of you here this morning, we'd we'd do all this. Because we think that it's worth it. Because we do believe that what God calls us to do is important. God calls us to do stuff. He says that it matters. It's why we're taking this virus seriously. It's why we're doing church a little bit differently these days. It's why we're wearing the masks It's not just that we have masks, it's what we do with the masks, right? Have you seen anybody wearing a mask like this? Uh, Probably not quite like this, right? Um, I call this the, I'm annoyed with people more than I'm annoyed with the virus (laughs) mask wearing. Uh, As you can see here, uh, this person just doesn't want to see people. I mean, I don't know if I've actually seen people wear a mask quite like that, but it's not just that you have the mask, it's it's what you do with the mask that actually makes the difference, right? Now, I don't want to make fun of this person too much. Uh, because I've had my own issues with masks. This was back in, it's like the worst picture of me ever, isn't it? But this was back, I think in April, before mask wearing was a really big thing. But I was walking into Target one day, and I saw, okay, there's like two people wearing masks, and like, thoughts are going through my head. I'm like, okay, I think I'm gonna put on a mask. I don't wanna get this thing. And I didn't have a mask, but I had a T-shirt in my back seat, so I ripped off the sleeve, and I like pulled it over my face, And then I realized after I'd come out of the store that this wasn't helping me at all because as you can see, condensation from my breath was just seeping through this mask. What I did with the mask mattered. In fact, like this mask was completely useless. I wasn't doing the right thing with it. And it was quite funny I think for people who were around me and once I realized when I got home what that looked like, I had to take a picture of it because it just looked ridiculous. We're in a series that's called Jesus Didn't Say That. You know what's something that Jesus did not say? Jesus did not say, I'm good with whatever you want to do. Jesus is good with you, but he's not necessarily always good with everything that we want to do. Truth be told, sometimes Christians can start to say things like, Well, I've got Jesus in my life so I can do whatever I want. That's not true. In fact, Jesus really said this in Matthew chapter 5, which you heard in the reading this morning, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Sometimes as Christians we think, it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want and I can get away with anything that I want because I've already got Jesus, so what's the point? I'm good, I'm clean listen, you're you're good because Jesus loves you, but whatever you want to do is not necessarily good either. Jesus is talking about rules here. He's talking about the law, and he's saying, I haven't come to throw those out. Jesus is talking to a group of people, and there's two different groups of people in this one group of people. On one side, it's the people who are so relieved that Jesus has come, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior. And some of them are getting a little comfortable a little too comfortable. Well, I've got Jesus, so now I can do whatever I want. I can say anything that I want. And to them, Jesus says, no, I haven't come to end rules. Here's how Jesus puts it. He says, the law and the writings of the prophets. So what we have is we've got the law that God gives, and then he's got writings from the prophets. And what this adds up to is the Old Testament. Sometimes you would say the law, the prophets, and the wisdom literature... But nonetheless, it's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the part of the Bible that we read before Jesus shows up. And in the Old Testament, we read about law and we read about rules that prophets set for people. Now, what was the purpose of these laws and these rules that Jesus has said, I've come to accomplish those things? Well, it says this in the book of Exodus. It says that Jesus, that God sets people free. If we go to the next slide, it says this in the book of Exodus. The people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The people of Israel were living in slavery. These were God's people. And they lived under the law of Egypt. They lived under the law of Pharaoh. And they were oppressed for it. Many of them were killed for it. But it says that this is how the Lord, and I spelled the Lord wrong. I'm hoping that that's not going to end poorly for me. This is how the, I'm kidding. This is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. So God sets them free from Pharaoh's rule, from Pharaoh's law. And instead, then in Exodus chapter 20, it says this. It says, then God gave the people all these instructions. Then it starts to list what we know as the Ten Commandments. God sets the people free and then he gives them law. God saves the people from Pharaoh's law that was hurting them. And now he gives them new law that will give them life. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think that I have to follow law in order to get free. But God is saying, I've set you free. Now here's what it looks like to live free. God's law is not something to oppress us. God's law is not something to hurt us. God's law shows us how free people live. It's important to have rules, isn't it? When I was in college, I got, I mean, honestly, I would say I got tricked into being a line judge in a volleyball game once. And uh, this mattered. It wasn't just like intramural volleyball. This was for our school's volleyball team. I was supposed to be the line judge. I didn't understand that if the ball hits the line, that's counted as in-bounds. Growing up, I had played basketball, I had played football, and so in the sports that I played, if you touch the out-of-bounds line, you're out. And so in my mind, okay, well, if the ball hits that line, it must be out. And so every single time that the ball was hitting the line, I'm like, out, and I just hear this rage of boos from the audience. I mean, they hated me. It was important that I knew the rules. It was important that I would follow the rules. But because I didn't know the rules, the players were living under subject of my own law and they were being hurt for it. I needed to know the real rules. I needed to know the real rules of freedom. And quite frankly, if there were no rules to volleyball whatsoever, that would be chaos. You'd have people jumping over the net, climbing, throwing the ball in people's faces. It wouldn't be good. Quite frankly, rules are important. Rules are what help us enjoy a real good life. These are the rules that help us. These are the rules that God sets forth for his people in the Old Testament. And these are the rules that Jesus is saying, I've come to accomplish their purposes. The purpose is for freedom. The purpose is for creation to live in the way that it was always supposed to live. But we have a problem with law and rules. The book of Romans, it says this about law and rules. It says the purpose of these rules, the law, is to keep people from having excuses. But hear this part and to show the entire world is guilty before God. Darn it. I thought that these rules were supposed to be a good thing for me, I was supposed to live free. Yes, the Bible says that we are supposed to live this way, but the Bible also says simultaneously we're still a slave to sin. Sometimes when we think, "Oh, I'm sinning. It's I'm doing what I really want to do." Maybe it's what I want to do on the surface, but it's not what my heart wants to do. Instead, I'm allowing myself to go back in those places that hurt me. That's why the Bible says it's a slavery experience when we live in sin. When we don't follow God's rule. We're going back to old oppressors. We're going back to old systems that are not good for our souls. The text continues and it says this, and this is when it gets really rough. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we really are. None of us can live up to this. None of us can follow the rules perfectly. It's our human nature. When I was on internship in Minnesota, I got done with the sermon one time and this older gentleman in the congregation came up to me and he was just being nice. He's like, hey, that was a great sermon. Awesome. I loved it. And I told him, you know, because I'm being all humble and, you know, just being kind of, I said, hey, <laughs> it's all God, you know. He looks back and he goes, nah, it wasn't that good. <laughs> he had a point, right? I'm still in it. There's still part of me. And as long as there's still part of me, there's still sin in it. Because I'm not perfect. I can't follow the rules perfectly. On our volleyball team in college, our team, our school, our team, they had some amazing players. But none of them followed the rules absolutely perfectly. If they did follow the rules absolutely perfectly every single time, they would have never lost. If they followed the rules perfectly every single time, they would have never hit the ball out of bounds, even according to a judge who knew what they were doing. They would have never let the ball hit the ground on their side. They would never miss. They never whiffed. It would have always won, but even the best volleyball players give up a point. You can't do it. And so here comes Jesus again in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, I have come to accomplish these purposes. If I throw away the law, you are subject back into slavery. And I won't do it. And since you are unable to complete these things on your own, allow me to complete them. Let me show you what I really want for your life. See, there are people who hear about Jesus coming into their life and they think, that's great. Now I don't have to worry about anything whatsoever. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Jesus didn't say that. Instead, Jesus said, I've got a new purpose for the law. It's to complete it. In the Greek, the word there, let's see if I can just spell it out, right? So right here we have, oops, I forgot a word or a letter. We got play Ra'o. This is play Ra'o. This is the word that it's used there for accomplish because I forgot the slide, so I apologize. And Jesus says, I want to do this. When it comes to the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, I want to play Ra'o it. Quite literally, it means complete. Make no mistake, when Jesus comes into the world, his mission is to complete perfection, to right every wrong. To bring peace to despair. To bring life over death. To win over evil. He has come to complete it. And that doesn't happen when we do it on our own. Because the law shows us how sinful we really are. We can pretend like it doesn't matter then we're only falling back into slavery under sin. It's not good for us. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 5. He says, talks about this with righteousness. He says, see, it's not just about eliminating law. Instead, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, the religious law teachers and the Pharisees, these are the people who follow the law really, really well. And Jesus is saying, your righteousness has to be even better than that. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. At first glance, we read that and we're like, oh, that's rough. That's terrible. I guess I'm going to hell. Let scripture speak for itself, though. Jesus is talking, he's not only calling out and and lifting up the people who are here saying, okay, well now I'm getting really comfortable with God and it doesn't matter what I do. And Jesus is saying, no, it does matter what you do. But now to the religious officials who are also in this crowd, who have heard Jesus, and they're saying, no, 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 I don't like your grace. I don't like the way that you come to people. I don't like the way that you say you can complete it. Because I mean, my goodness gracious, we're the ones who are following everything perfectly. We're the ones who have dedicated our lives to this. We're the ones who carry around these scrolls all day long and have memorized them and preached them to people. We're the ones who've done the work. And Jesus says, even you, even you religious teachers, even you Pharisees, even you are not righteous enough. And what is righteousness? Righteousness, it's this religious word, but what it really means is your worth. And it also means your entitlement. Righteousness, it means that you've done good work, but not just good work, but work that makes you entitled, that makes you worthy of reward. Think about a lot of our college students right now who are applying for grad schools. And a lot of them have done really good work. But it's not just that they do good work. It's that their work is good enough to own a spot into the program that they want to get into. It's not just graduate schools, of course, right? It's that job that you've always envied. It's the way you wanted your family to always look. It's the way that you just wanted to impress somebody. Be righteous before them. And Jesus is saying, There is no work that you could do that is good enough. You can do good work, but there is no work that you could do that is good enough on your own to make you own a spot next to God. We can't do that. In fact, here's the way that I think that Jesus is drawing it out for us, if you will. See, the religious people of those days and the Pharisees, they thought that they had the law figured out. And so if anything, people would have to live under their law and under their rule, and they could oppress them, and they'd be right for doing it. Jesus is saying, no, you're not. See, this can tr- kind of trip us up because we think, okay, well, that means that I have to exceed the focus and exceed concentration and exceed the success at following the law that the Pharisees do. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus doesn't say, unless your righteousness is more focused, is more concentrated, is more successful than the righteousness of the teachers. Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness is better, of a different kind, of a different value, something that goes deeper than the surface. So often when we think about law and the Bible, when we think about rules as a Christian, we think about the things that we have to complete on the surface. But every single one of us, we're like onions. We've got layers and layers and layers. And on the outside, it's really just our social reputation, right? So on the outside, it's just social. And these are the things that you know about someone right away. You know about who they hang out with. You maybe know of them. It's just when you know about someone. You might know their status. And then, eventually, you might actually have a physical interaction with them. That doesn't mean like you're actually hugging them or shaking hands or anything, but you're around them. You actually start to see their physical body. And so now, you don't just know about them, but you've met them. And then, inside of that, you've got the mind. And if you can get into this circle with someone, you don't just know about them. You haven't just met them, but you actually now know them. And then, even deeper than that, we've got the heart. And now it's not that you just know about someone, it's not that you've just met someone, it's not that you just know someone, it's that you're actually with someone. And when we talk about behavior, we're talking about the social things. Our reputation. The people that people know us for. The things that we do that people know us for. And all sorts of people are welcome in that circle. A few people are let inside the circle of meeting us. Fewer people are let to really know us. Very few people are let into the place where they can do life with us. And so often we just focus on the behavior stuff that's out here that gives us a reputation. I have to do the right stuff to get the paycheck. You know, I need to have a positive enough reputation to have some friends Those look like nice friends. I need to be so good at following all the rules. One, two, three, all of them. I've got the possessions. There's the house. (laughs) And if this is our focus, the social stuff, the reputation, and don't worry, there's good stuff out here, right? Like the things that we can do with our money. Like, buy possessions, but even deeper than that, you know, the things that we can do for people with our money. The rules that we can follow, the way we can make this place, a, this world a better place. Just by the, the reputation stuff, the outside stuff, the surface stuff. But if that becomes our focus, it's amazing how that stuff really starts to influence deeper and deeper and deeper. Until money is influencing the heart, or possessions are influencing the heart. Friends become our influence for the heart, or the rules that we follow, that's all in the heart. And now, instead of in our heart having this good, purified, loving perspective on the world, instead it's my heart is more focused on what I can get, what I can have, who I can surround myself with, and how good I can be. It's all inward focused. There's an old theologian who said that, you know, I think that all hell really is is just a constant self examination where you can't get past the sight of yourself. A lot of times the things that we do are just about us. But Jesus says, I've come to do more than that, I've come to give you real life. I don't just care about the things that you do on the outside. Jesus is saying, I care about what you, how you feel about it even. Jesus explains what he thinks about the law here. He says, you've heard it said that you must not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. I don't care what you just do. I care what you feel about it. Jesus said, you've heard our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, that word is in the Bible, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Jesus says, I don't just care what you do. I care how you feel about it. You've heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek... Offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his life or carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard that the law says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Different kind of value when it comes to righteousness with Jesus. It doesn't start with the things that we do. It's not outside in, it's inside out. What Jesus wants to do with us, where Jesus wants to go, is he wants to start at the heart. And the only way that we're going to experience the law and rules, the way that we're supposed to, as free people, is if we let Jesus live with us in our innermost circle. He wants to start on the inside. And then he can go from there. I think that it's a good way to see it. I think a good way to see it is like this. Like, just face value. Fancy. Frat party, right? Nice. If I really need something to drink, I'll use this. Looks good on the outside. Looks worn down on the outside. But what about what's on the inside? Tell me out of these two, oh boy, this isn't good. That's really on their tight. Out of these two, which one would you drink from? One looks really nice on the outside, one doesn't on the outside. But what's on the inside really matters. It's chocolate syrup, don't worry about it. It just needed to look gross. Same water went into them but one was clean on the inside. One was just a little bit more focused on what was on the outside. Which one would you rather drink from? As people who follow God, we have the choice. Are we going to be so focused on what's on the outside? That's only going to last us so long. And eventually those things on the outside are going to get into our heart we won't be able to keep up with it anymore. But Jesus wants to start on the inside. In Psalm chapter 51, this is a part of the Old Testament that Jesus is talking about that he's come to fulfill. It says this, You don't desire a sacrifice, the things that are on the surface, or I would offer one. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. In the book of Ezekiel, it says this. It says, I will give you a new heart. On the next slide, it says this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. That passage continues, and it says this. On the next slide, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. The way to truly live in God's freedom, to follow God's rule, the only hope that we have for it is to come before God and say, you know what, I need you more than I ever thought I did. Jesus says, don't call out a speck in your neighbor's eye when you've got a log in your own. We never go to people in judgment, we go to people in love. We, we come before God and we realize, I knew that I needed you, but I could never have imagined that I needed you this badly. Here's my broken heart, God. Come inside. Break through the cracks. And start to work out. So instead of being someone who's inward focused, always starting on the outside, letting things influence me on the inside, God, I want you to reign in my heart. And all of a sudden, that'll change the way that I think, That'll change the things that I do, and that'll impact the world around me. That's how we follow God's rules. We let God break into our hearts to let Him clean us from the inside. Give me a new heart, O oh God. Put your spirit in me. That is my only hope for following you. I am a slave to sin. I can't do right on my own. I fall, I break, and when I crack, I need you to come in, Lord. I need you to create a, a clean heart in me, oh God. Here I am. I need you more than I possibly knew. I've been living for the wrong things. I've been trying to get righteous through the, right, through the wrong stuff. It leads me to constant anxiety, always stressed, wondering if I can keep it up. Jesus talks about anxiety and stress in this same sermon just in a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 7. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. They're not obsessed with all that stuff like we are with our, with our money and our possessions. They don't stress about that stuff because their heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to God than they are? Perhaps it's a rhetorical question, but the answer screams at us through the pages. Jesus is saying, yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You don't have to live in stress trying to get righteous through the wrong things. Instead, allow Christ to break into your heart and work out from there. To let us escape this imprisonment of always being focused on ourselves. Focused on myself so much, I'm missing out on the world around me. There's a world of opportunity out there, they say. A world of opportunity to love people, to care for people. Jesus says all of the law in the Bible can be summed up into this. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. If everything we do is out of love, we cannot sin. Now, don't get me wrong, in the same way that I said to that guy, hey, it's all God. Well, no, it wasn't all God. There was some part of me in that sermon. Well, in everything that I do, it's not all God. There's still part of me in that. But Christ has come to complete what I cannot complete. Christ has come to fulfill what I cannot fulfill. And in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, it says this I cannot boast in anything that I can do, nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that allows me to do anything worthwhile. Allows me to do anything that would make a difference on this part of the world. It starts on the inside. It's inside-out living, not outside-in. It's letting God into those vulnerable places, being honest about the things that we've come short on. The passage continues. Because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. I'm no longer influenced by these things, but instead now I am influenced by the one who has influence over the entire world. Because he can break through those barriers. He can change the way that I think. He can change what I do and he can change this world. Yes, I come to God and I say, I need you more than I ever thought I I did. But you also love me more than I ever knew more than I could have ever dreamed. Finally, it says this in Galatians. It says, here's what really counts. You've been transformed into a new creation or not? One more time. Have you been transformed into a new creation or not? Jesus says, yes, you have. Because I've completed you. Let him in. Let him in. It's our only hope for following rules. It's our only hope for following the law. But you let him in. It'll change the way you think. It'll change what you do. It'll change your impact on this world. I believe God wants to do big things through us, through our church. Even when we're gathering in small numbers like this. Believe that God appropriately named our church hope. God's going to give hope to this world through us. And not just us, but the church across the street and the church down the street and the church across the highway. Let's let God in. Let's let him into our innermost core. Here's my heart, Lord. Will you say that with me today? Here's my heart, Lord. Let's say that together. Here's my heart, Lord. Say it again. Here's my heart, Lord. One more time. Here's my heart, Lord. See what he can do. Amen.